Hi, everybody. This is Jerry Salaya, Chief Strategist at Tricio. And today I'm joined by my colleague, John Cavalier, our Chief Economist, who I've known for donkey's ears. Well, today we're talking currencies. And lucky you, US CPI has just been released. And apparently it was a bit of a stonker. Yeah, the numbers are high still. Uh, disappointing to the markets. They were looking for a further fall in core inflation in particular, um, and also in headline inflation. It didn't happen. Uh, we had some strong numbers and the markets have reacted with quite big rises in uh, bond yields. Um, stock markets uh, sort of knocked off its perch a bit. So, yeah, I mean, people were looking for a continuing downtrend in inflation such that that would open the way to the Fed moving, not in March because they really pushed back on that, but maybe in May. And I think this... Uh, this suggests May is unlikely, which we always thought anyway, but uh, this seems to I confirm mean, that. This is one of those weird ones where we've been talking, well, you've been talking about the last mile, if you will, of the fight against inflation is going to be difficult. And then that's, you know, you've been flagging that from day one, which is like a year and a half ago. But that's what we're seeing now, and people seem to be taken by surprise. But we've also said in our you know written work for clients that we were looking more towards the second half pace of rate cuts from this from the Fed. You know, maybe late you know, first half, but probably after the summer. And I think the evidence is coming through to say, yeah, it's probably going to be right. But what always gets me is why is the market reacting this way? Surely they had the same view. But again, we, we've been wondering why the heck the money market was looking for six rate cuts this year. Do you think the market's going to have to yes. do some serious rethinking? I think they will, yes. I mean, I suppose people have been expecting the economy to slow, and it slowed a bit from the rapid pace last summer, but it's, it's still going pretty strong. I mean, most of the data suggests growth is still above 2% on an ongoing rate. And, you know, the Fed thinks that around one and three quarters to two is the trend rate of growth. But if you're growing stronger than that, and you've still got inflation uh, above the 2% target, you've still got wage growth, which looks a little bit too strong, uh, you're still creating uh, a lot of payrolls each month, why would they cut? It doesn't seem to be any any case for that. Not, not that I want to throw a fox into the chicken coop, but you could argue they should raise rates again. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I think that's a, a possibility, and I think the markets uh, are not allowing for that possibility. Um, it would happen if growth stayed strong, and especially if inflation really did seem to stall. And the Fed's not going to make too much of this one number. They, they never look just at one number. They look at the trend. And the trend has been for inflation and wage growth to slow. But if, you know, if it stops slowing, if it stays where it is, that's not good enough for them. Yeah, of course, EPI starts creeping higher again, let's say. Um, and if unemployment started creeping lower, um, you know, again, yeah, to new yeah. lows, those, those things, uh, the Fed would look at that. And yeah, I mean, the, they very much would put potential rate increases back on the table. I mean, I think they're, they're going to have patience if, if the picture you see is strong growth and uh, rather slowly declining inflation. If you've got strong growth with inflation stuck, and especially if it's rising, then yeah, uh, rate increases cannot be ruled out. And that would really change uh, the market thinking because you know, what that means for where rates could be at the end of the year is completely different then to the current view. That's right. But for now, we don't think that, right? Just in terms of for this podcast, for the purpose of this podcast, talking about currencies, we're not expecting the Fed to raise rates this year. Correct. I mean, I, I still would say that the, the Fed's the Fed's view that the three rate cuts uh, this year is probably a reasonable expectation. Now, in terms of the dollar, I'm looking at the current dollar strength as basically being reactive in most cases. So let's say euro dollar. We touched 112 last year, just above it. 
and we came down and then we kind of bounced up and now we're coming back down. I don't think the ECB nor the Fed really cares about euro dollar as long as it's roughly between a one range and a 115, 120 sort of range. Do you think that's probably true? I'm sure that's right. Yes. Yeah, I mean, these are big economies, um, relatively closed if you take the whole economy, uh, as it's, you know, take the whole of Europe. So the exchange rate doesn't matter all that much. They're not going to be concerned unless it's really going quite widely away from, from a sort of uh, average trend rate. And, and my view for this year, and to be fair, my view for last year, was that the euro dollar would be correcting higher after we pressed below parity back in 2022. So I'm still looking for 112 to give way out towards 115 and 120 over the course of the year, as maybe it becomes clearer to the market that the Fed is actually going to have room to cut rates. Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, it's bas- the basic idea, as you say, is that the, the Fed is going to be able to cut rates ahead of uh, Europe and the UK, and that that should lead to the dollar subsiding a bit from its currently high levels. Of course, the market's already kind of expecting that. So you know, <laughs> they keep getting rejected. <laughs> yeah. But you say you have to kind of question what that means for the positioning of, of the dollar at the moment. But uh, it still matters what actually happens rather than what's what's expected to happen. So, yeah, so I, I think on the positioning side, and that's a, a conversation that's always difficult to have because, you know, one man's positioning data is another man's that's garbage. But in terms of what I've been reading and what I've been looking through the CFTC stuff, it seems that a lot of people have given up on being bearish on the dollar. And it's only February. So all the forecasts, everything out the window, U.S. economy is doing really well. Give up on the dollar weakening story. So I think for you and me, who are looking for the dollar to weaken a bit, maybe this helps, right? The positioning is against us. We're, we're, there are not that many dollar shorts out there at the, at the moment. That makes sense. Well, it's going to be a bad year for us <laughs> if the dollar does hold up further. I mean, dollar yen, a couple of weeks ago, we were knocking at 140. And here we are back above 150. And everybody's saying, you know, mm-hmm. Fed. Rates are going to stay high forever, maybe rate hike risk, whatever. BOJ, they're never going to raise rates. They're never going to remove stimulus. Now, we still think they're going to remove stimulus over the course of this year and maybe even nudge rates a little higher from negative uh, 10 basis points. Yeah, I mean, we do. And I think that's likely. The move is going to be quite marginal, though, I suspect. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they end up with the policy rate at, you know, plus 0.1 or plus 0.2, which is... Right, yeah. Know, Basically, one one rate increase by in Fed terms, 25 basis points. So, yes. so how much difference that will make when the Fed is more likely to be you know, cutting by several cuts? Uh, I don't know. Well, I think it's a relative game, and my view is that mm. if 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 we actually see risk of the Fed rate cut actually happening, and if we actually see the BOJ maybe nudging or talking about nudging rates higher, I think that'll stabilize dollar yen along with help from the Bank of Japan and you know words from the Ministry of Finance if needed. Because I don't think the Japanese authorities really want dollar yen at 160 or at 180. I, I think they'd much rather right. have it doing nothing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I start from the sort of what I regard as the fundamental valuation for yen dollar, and that's something closer to 110, 120. So so right. the yen is already 30% undervalued. You know, it's that elastic band theory of exchange rates we talked That's about. That's right. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really stretched on, on the low side at the moment. Um, and if you just get a little bit of relief on relative interest rates, uh, it ought to come a little bit back towards the center. So that'll be below 130 probably and moving towards yes. your, your fair value idea. Now, let's see. I, I don't know how we're doing on time. I know we want to touch on uh, China, but 
before we do China, let's do sterling just to get out of the way. Is that going to basically mirror the euro dollar for now? And, and there's not too many sterling outliers, are there, that, that could shock it? You know, the picture in the UK is that inflation is coming down, but coming down behind the US. And so that right. points to the Bank of England probably cutting rates later uh, than the, the US. I mean, we had some fairly good data out of UK today on wages, which is good, showing wages coming down, but they're still a lot too high. So real surprises. I mean, I, I guess the thing that would concern people is if is if inflation got stuck, but that isn't happening at the moment. It does seem to be coming down. And the economy is weak, unlike the US. So that should help to bring inflation down. We're still looking for a move above 130 towards 140 in cable. I guess that's still yep. in the cards. Well, I was just going to mention the political issues. Um, okay. There is obviously election in both the US and the UK uh, this year. And we haven't really talked about political risk. Um, in the UK, I'm not sure there is all that much political risk. I guess people always worry about change. Uh, Labour Party has become more electable and, and, and more more centrist. Nevertheless, it will, it will, of course, raise taxes and increase spending and so on. It's likely to be sensible about um, fiscal policy, though. Um, so I don't think the market has anything to fear from a sort of left-wing version of Liz Truss, for example. It's uh, they, they will make sure they keep the deficits under control. But nevertheless, the markets are going to be looking at that as the year goes on. But then in the US, I mean, uh, normally I would say political risk doesn't really, if, if coming from the US, doesn't really impact markets. But you have to wonder the, the kind of policies that uh, Trump is talking about, um, you know, very, very protectionist trade policies, um, potentially shaking up NATO, what kind of impact these things will have on the dollar. So I think that's uh, political risk could even be higher for the US than the UK this year. But you're right, the market's not really talking too much about political risk. I mean, everybody seems to be focused on if Trump comes in, the you know, it, that means lower taxes. That seems to be the mantra of the market. Trump win means lower taxes. And everybody's forgetting about the impact of a potential 60% tariffs. That That just boggles the mind. Yeah, you've got to worry about tariffs. And, and also, you know, what about the budget deficit? It's already very high. If you cut taxes without cutting spending, where are you then? going to be even higher. I, I, as I, so, I've, yeah, we've been writing it. It was one thing for Reagan to, to cut taxes back from the super high levels of the 70s and early 80s in order to stimulate growth. It's it's another thing to do it from current levels, I guess, and current debt levels, right? Right, right. exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about China. Because, I mean, ignoring the Trump risk for China, because I, I think we've argued over the last four years that effectively, you know, Trump risk was one part of the agenda, but Biden risk has taken that over. And you don't lose votes by being tough on China as far as U.S. politics are concerned. Right. But China has its own domestic problems, regardless of who's in the White House in the U.S. And I've been arguing that a weaker currency would actually help them. And we argued that last year and we saw a bit of pressure the dollar going up a bit, but that receded over the last few months. So I'm still looking for a move up to 7.3 again, and maybe 7.5. I agree with you that a moderate decline in in the CNY would be beneficial. You know, we've got deflation, and if you if you devalue, then uh, that tends to increase your inflation rate, which will be a good thing for them because it's it's so low. And when you have very very low inflation or even deflation, it means your your debts stay high. They don't they don't get gradually eroded. So some kind of devaluation would be a good thing. Um, I think they're terrified of losing control of the renminbi or creating a panic. They remember the devaluation back in the 2010s, which created a lot of issues. Um, they also remember the high inflation. Uh, going back to Tiananmen Square in the 90s, that was Tiananmen Square was sort of a 
uh, a reaction to high inflation at the time. So I think they're, they're quite nervous about um, overusing monetary policy. So I think they're inclined to cut interest rates kind of after the Fed cuts and, and, and not look for too much of a devaluation. But they probably should try to create some kind of a move. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of, you know, nobody wants big moves in, in currencies, especially if you're already fighting, you know, all sorts of sentiment ideas anyway. But yeah, the, the, our mantra has always been nobody's going to notice if you go from 7.2 to 7.3 over a matter of months and end the year up closer to 7.5. And so if you do it over a 12-month period, the markets will take that in stride and it'll be helping out slowly. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, except that one person at least might notice, and his name is Trump. He could use that as an excuse. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a good point. But the thing is, as we've noted again before, Japan has gotten away with murder and letting their currency go from, you know, pressing on yen 80 towards yen 150. I mean, the, the Japanese yen has depreciated hugely over the, la- over the course of the cycle. And yet nobody seems to care. Yeah, I mean, I think the the days back in the 80s and 90s when you know Japanese cars were sort of flooding into the US and that seemed like a big threat, they're they're past now. Japanese make cars in the US. They don't particularly import large numbers from Japan. It's not obvious that there's a load of stuff flooding in from Japan. So there's there's no political capital to be made by Japan bashing. No, I think um, that's right. All right, John. Now. And in the very last part of the podcast, where we still have a few seconds left, let's talk Turkey. And the question I've asked you before, and I'll ask you again, is they, they've had a change in central bank uh, governor, but it doesn't really matter because it seems like they're still going to be raising rates to combat inflation. Now, rates are at 45%, inflation's at 65%. How do you stop the Turkish lira continue to falling out of bed? And, you know, when you look at the chart, you can see over the last few years, the depreciation trend has really accelerated. What would you do? And this is an open-ended question, I guess. If you were in charge of Turkey's central bank. You, you gave the numbers. You know, rates are 45%, inflation at 65%. So you're losing 20% a year um, by holding Turkish lira uh, and collecting the interest rate. So what they need to do is to raise rates higher, um, above the inflation rate. That will slow the economy. That's, that's nearly always part of the process of reducing inflation. But at some point, it will stabilize the currency. Uh, and that as well is is another way to stabilize inflation. So that, I think they they've they've switched to conventional policy. Remember, interest rates came from what was it eight uh, percent before? They kept economic growth going. Uh, people didn't yes. like the inflation, but uh, growth was strong in those years. People tend to forget that Turkey was really you know doing very well. Yeah. So that was enough to help him win the election. But uh, um, as He's won the election and now won't face another election for a while. So, he's, so he has uh, okay, to deal with economic cool. realities, yeah? He's got to do. I mean, this, this is typical of the way governments work everywhere, isn't it? They they let the economy rip ahead of elections and, and then try to you know, stabilize it afterwards. And on that note, John, I think 2024 is going to be very, very exciting for currency traders. One way or another. Fair enough? I think so. I think so. And I hope so. Yeah. All right. Thank you, John.